You know, last week um, we kicked off a series called Overshadowed. And uh, if you weren't there, I'll give you a little recap. But we were really highlighting the importance of talking about keeping the attributes of God and, do- and biblical doctrines in a, in a state of holy tension. In other words, we don't want to swing off and just be preaching a, a, a one note from Scripture because Scripture is full of a whole symphony, and if we just major on one note, we end up messing up the song. Are you with me? We don't want to mess up the song. And what happens, especially in America, is we like to focus on the parts of the Bible that are like the desserts, the sweet stuff, the stuff that's really tender. But even the sweet stuff, if all you eat is sugar, your sweet stuff won't even be that sweet. Because you have to balance it. You know, if, you ever go, if you've ever gone out to buy a beautiful diamond or a beautiful ring someplace, you go off to a jeweler. They're not, those, those diamond rings are not sitting on a piece of glass. They're under the glass, and what are they usually on? They're on a, like a black velvet backdrop, are they not? Or a deep blue or something like that. Some rich color. And the reason for that rich color is because it makes the diamond sparkle all the more. It's not that the diamond is less glorious. It's just that it highlights the glory of the diamond when it's on something uh, dark like that. How many of you know you'll never appreciate the love of God until you understand the holiness of God? You'll never appreciate the mercy of God until you see the justice of God. You'll you'll never appreciate your salvation and the fact that God sent his son Jesus to die for you until you understand the hideousness of sin and the holiness of God, the otherness of God, the transcendent part of God. And once again, I appreciate our worship team because they're doing their very, very best to sing songs that magnify what we're talking about. We sang a lot about uh, today, God being enthroned upon the praises of 10,000 generations. <laughs> How many of you know that's an awesome God? From generation to generation, He's enthroned on the praises of His people. And so here's, here's our goal this month. We want to exalt the bigness and the otherness and the greatness and the transcendence of God. Because here's our problem too. If you have a small God, you're going to have small results. If you have a tiny God, you're going to have tiny praise. If, you're going to have a, if you have a tiny God, you're going to have tiny faith. If you have a tiny God, you're going to have tiny gratitude in your heart. Everybody know what I'm talking about. Big God, big faith. Big God, big thanksgiving and gratitude. Big God, big vision. You know, it, it works together. So that's what we want to do. We want to exalt the greatness of our transcendent God. And I want to go to a passage that breaks my heart. Sometimes, have you ever read through, you know, Pastor Dick was talking about the various kings. Some of the kings were good kings. Some of the kings were lousy kings. And Israel's history with their covenant God goes something like this. Maybe some of you can relate. Uh, But God doesn't want our history with him to be like a roller coaster. How many of you know God wants us to go from glory to glory to glory? Uh, But over and over again, we see the failures of God's people in their covenant with him to turn their backs on the Lord. And this is one of those passages that just is heartbreaking. Look at Exodus 32, the first four verses with me. It said, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses. How many of you know that sounds like impatience to me and impatience will kill us every time. They got impatient with how long Moses was taking to come back down from the mountain. So they gathered around Aaron the priest And here's what they said, come on, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Now, I just have to point this out on the side because here's the deal. When you have a lousy view of the greatness of God and the holiness of God, you will have a lousy sense of respect for those in authority. And does anybody see a parallel in our nation today where we have no respect for anybody or any authority? It's because we have no respect for God primarily. This fellow Moses, I almost want to laugh. You mean the one who had the burning bush experience and went back to Egypt and, and had to obey this terrifying God that asked him to do the impossible, the one that stood on the edge of the Red Sea, and when he put his staff in the water, it separated? You mean that, that guy? You mean the one that you walked through on, on dry ground, and then when he got to the other side, he... He put the staff in and it closed and drowned all the Egyptians. You mean that guy that delivered you, that leader that delivered you? That Oh, and by the way, you came out with all the riches of Egypt? You mean that fellow Moses? They should have been honoring 
and thanking and grateful forever indebted. I mean, we honored veterans here today for the sacrifices they made for our freedom, and we should. How much more do you honor God Almighty for what He's done, and how, how also do we honor the leadership that God raises up to bless our life and to speak into our life and to help us? And when you're always in a position of honor, 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 listen, the blessing of God protects you and stays with you and keeps you out of evil. So important. Moses is not a fellow. Moses was a prophet, a prophetic voice God raised up to do an amazing work, and he had to put up with these people for so long. This is their, their stubborn, rebellious, stiff neckedness, as the Bible says, coming out. But it gets worse. Look what verse 2 says. So Aaron said, take the gold rings. From the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So now where is he getting this gold from? This was the gold that God blessed all of his people with. Now they're using it to make an idol to replace the God who blessed them with it. Verse 3, all the people took the gold rings from their ears. They brought them to Aaron. Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When I read that passage, one thing comes to my mind. I'm grateful that God is long-suffering. <laughs> God could have vaporized them all in a second and probably should have for their rebelliousness and pride. How do you go from seeing the amazing demonstrations of God's power to national rebellion and idolatry in three months' time, because that's all the time that's taking place here between their deliverance from Egypt and this national act of rebellion and idolatry. These were the ones who were once slaved. Of course, they had been liberated by this epic display of God's power. He absolutely decimated the gods of Egypt. That's a whole other sermon series is how God took each of their idols and absolutely destroyed them. Every false god, God absolutely decimated He delivers them not just from any nation, but from the most powerful nation on the planet. It's a total, total miracle. And yet, in only three months, with all the shock and awe that these people saw and experienced still fresh in their minds, they actually turned to to worship this calf instead of God Almighty. They watched the plagues. How many of you know if you went through and you saw all the plagues that God did, you would be in shock and awe, and there would be a healthy sense of respect and fear in your heart? Would there not be? I mean, that was just unbelievable what God did. They watched the parting of the sea. Can you imagine walking through that ground and seeing the water standing on both sides? And I've seen some artistic renditions of that where you can actually see when you're up close the fish swimming along like you're in uh, an aquarium on both sides of you because God causes the water to stand up and you walk through. I mean, you know, that might be kind of awesome. I mean, I get in awe just going to an aquarium and getting up close to some of those fish. That causes a sense of holy awe in me. These people had, that was the first human aquarium ever created by God. And they happened to walk right through the midst of it. It was amazing. They tasted of God's miraculous provision every single day. The manna that was waiting for them. Not to mention the quail that God sent when they whined, you remember that? Or how about the water from the rock which poured out again and again and watered over three million people? That was kind of a big deal, but I love this one too. I was out walking through the sands of Dubai, and that what a desolate uh, sandbox that place is uh, before the, the uh, technology came and built that city. I mean, we're talking about nothing but sand dunes as far as the eye can see, and these folks had this nice little touch from God. As they're walking through the desert, God sends them an air conditioning unit to hover over them every single day. Wasn't it amazing that there's not a cloud to be seen, but right above them is a giant cloud that doesn't allow any of the sun's heat to come in, and they're walking in the cool of the day in the midst of blazing desert heat. How I many of you know that would cause a little worship? And then how about nighttime when the temperatures plummet? What does God do? He has a pil- giant pillar of fire that literally leads them through the wilderness. It's like a, it's like a big heating you know, fireplace right there for, just for them to warm up. Isn't God amazing? But I'm sure while you're warming up, you're looking at that fire going, what in the world have we got ourselves into? Because that would have been awesome. Like you're talking to your neighbor. How does this thing show up every night? Where does this come from? Who's paying the gas bill? I mean, stuff like that that we'd be asking as good parents. And I told you last week, the songs that people sing are a reflection of the God that they worship. 
So if we're singing lots of songs that make God very familiar, it just means that we're emphasizing his closeness. But when we're singing songs that emphasize his transcendence, uh, you'll hear that come out like some of the songs we sang today. Well, guess what the children of Israel did right when they were delivered uh, from Egypt, when they went through the Red Sea and they came out on the other side and God drowned the entire Egyptian army. Guess what they did? They had a worship service. They sang a song. We read about it in Exodus 14. Now, let me just tell you, in fact, let's read Exodus 14, 31 uh, through 15, verse 1. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that God had unleashed, that's a great word, God unleashed mighty power against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord, and check this out, and in his servant Moses. And then Moses said to the people, or Moses sang, I'm sorry, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I highlighted some things in my Bible because I think there's four things that go together. First of all, power should inspire a sense of awe. When we see the power of God, it makes us filled with awe. This is why I want to encourage us that we're not just coming to religious services or ceremonies. We worship a God who has the power to absolutely transform our lives. And if we portray a God that's any less than powerful, we're actually putting forth an idol for people to see. How many of you want to be a part of following a Savior who really saves, a Savior who transforms, a God who delivers us from the demonic, a God who delivers us from our, our fleshly struggles and habits and hang-ups and addictions, amen? I mean, I'm thinking of our Celebrate Recovery team. Wouldn't it be pathetic to have Celebrate Recovery where people come and never recover for God's sake? We just come and tell each other how horrible we are and how many problems we have. That would be depressing. And after a while, nobody wants to come and sit around and just listen to everybody talk about all their problems. We come to these groups because we serve a God who actually changes habits and hurts and hang-ups and transforms us. That's a God that demonstrates his power. And when you see that in somebody's life, and all of us in this room have, you stand in awe of God. Amen? When I hear stories like this, entire village coming to know Christ, I stand in awe of God. God can save a city in a night. God can do those kinds of things. God can bring his word to people that have never heard of his word through the most strange circumstances so that he gets the glory. Power demonstration leads to awe. Awe leads to faith in the heart of the people that see it. How many of you know when you see a move of God, when you see the power of God, when you see him moving in your life, faith arises in a way that that causes you to feel like, come on, I can do this thing, or I can partner with God, and God can do great things through me. If you never see power and you never experience awe, you'll never move in faith. And if you never move in faith, you'll never do what I want us all to do next Sunday, and that's have a powerful time of celebration and worship of God Almighty as we enter Thanksgiving. You'll never worship. So they saw the power, they stood in awe, they moved in faith, and lastly, they sang this amazing song. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 15 in your Bible. I wish I could had the time this morning to read it all. I don't. But here's the question I would ask you as you read through Exodus 15. If they just experienced a song of a deliverance or experienced God's deliverance, then the song should focus on the majesty and the transcendence of God. And here's what we talked about last week. The fact that God is a dangerous being. Now, I know that word, when you put dangerous with God, everybody that loves the eminence of God just cringes. Because you're like, Pastor, don't call God dangerous because he's a loving daddy. Yes, he is. He's both. He's a dangerous, loving daddy. And you'll never appreciate his loving daddiness unless you realize he's dangerous. Now, let me just tell you, I know we've got a lot of religious folks in our culture today, and frankly, we've got so many people in churches today claiming to love God who are offended by what they read in the Bible. So let me just help offend you today. I'm going to read Exodus 15. Be offended at God. And the fact that God would use this kind of language, <laughs> what kind of God? I'm kidding. God, please do not strike me dead here in the pulpit. That was a joke. (laughs) Signs of danger. I'll just add a few. Here's the first part. He hurled both horse and rider into the sea. So much for PETA on that one. The Lord is a warrior. Oh, Pharaoh's chariots and army, he hurled them into the sea. He drowned Pharaoh's finest officers. 
God drowned Pharaoh's finest officers. Deep waters gushed over them as they sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury, and it consumes them like straw. At the blast of your breath, the waters piled up. The enemy boasted, I'm going to chase them. I'll catch up to them. I will plunder them. I'll consume them. I mean, the devil trash talks. But God said, I will flash my sword and my powerful hand will destroy them. Verse 11, I'm just skipping around here. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? It goes on and talks about how God terrified the enemy camp. Uh, and the last verse, verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. I just want you to know I've been instructing our worship team when we select songs. I said, I don't want to sing songs that are the, song, the, the, the person singing reflecting about what's going on in their heart. Because what's going on in my heart will not help you. Reflecting on what's going on in your heart is not your ultimate source of health. What helps you is singing about the greatness of God and who you are in relationship to Him. I want to sing about how He reigns. I want to sing about His power. I want to sing about His glory. I want to sing about the unstoppableness of who He is, that nothing is impossible for God. That will make you happy. Singing about how you feel about how you feel about not being happy will not do anything but put you in depression, all right? We need anthems about the greatness of God because in America today, we have a familiar, domesticated little house cat God. We wonder, where is God? God's waiting for us to show up and worship Him correctly. God's waiting for us to see Him as He is. Like, well, where's God? Where's God? You got all these people mocking prayer now. Have you seen that? How, well, prayer and condolences. Prayer and condolences. They, they want to take it into their own hands. It's because our God is so tiny. And the reason He's so tiny is because He's tiny in the church. We need to liberate God from the cage that we have Him in. That's part of what we do when we sing these great songs. So here's my question. This worship service here started off so great. I mean, they're singing about God smashing enemies. I just got to tell you, listen, I can tell you church after church in our own community that would be offended by what I just read. I just want to tell you something. Stop being offended by the greatness of God. Stop being offended by the fact that God is God. Stop being offended by the fact that he doesn't report to anybody. And he's absolutely holy and righteous and true. He doesn't have to get permission to do anything because he's a great God. Stop being offended by him. I am not offended by the scriptures. I'm challenged by the scriptures. When the scripture jolts me and makes me feel uncomfortable, I realize I need to feel uncomfortable. I'm drifting from the reality of the God who is a consuming fire. I do not want to drift from God. How about you? I want to have a sense of awesome shock and awe and yet amazing intimacy and joy at the same time. I want to tremble in his presence as we're worshiping his greatness. I want my mind to be blown and I want my heart to be on fire with passion for Jesus. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That'll never happen if you domesticate God. These people start off good. And, and, how, and we're asking the question, how do you fall into idolatry that fast? You know, we, we all deal with habits, do we not? Myself included. We've all had things in our life that have shaped us, uh, situations that have molded us. We've had wounds and hurts, and, and that's why we have awesome ministries like Celebrate Recovery. It's why we get together in life groups. It's why we have ministry at the altar, because we're in a lifelong battle against our flesh. Old, long-standing habits are hard to break. Okay, I get it. I mean, you know, too, if you've been in an idolatrous culture for 400 years where everybody worships idols, it might be easy to fall back into that. So first of all, I just want to say this. As Christians, we need to have grace for people that are still struggling and haven't quite gotten free yet, okay? How many many appreciate grace? But let me tell you how grace is much better applied. Not by hiding... If, If You don't turn grace... Let me say this. You don't turn grace into 
a little tiny kitten that you pet while you go back sinning. No, grace is when the lion comes into the room and roars and everything in you shakes and you say to the lion of Judah, God, I need help. God, I need power. I need your grace to change. And you believe that the lion has the power to change you. You turn in your little putty cat for the lion of the tribe of Judah. And you get the grace of God that's needed for you. But the grace is never in its full effect unless there's some trembling with it. The trembling is, why would I take the grace of God for granted? I'm going to help some of you out this morning. You say, Pastor, you're preaching a heavy message. I'm preaching a life-saving message for somebody today. Don't be a foolish tourist like I talked about last week, inching up to the edge of the abyss while you're taking a selfie over hell because it looks cool, because the fire looks cool on your selfie. Don't risk eternity apart from God because you couldn't worship God as he was because you domesticated him and you excused away the very things that cost Jesus Christ his lifeblood. You know what the Bible says? When we continue to sin in areas where we know it is wrong and it's still willful rebellion on our part, it's like we're crucifying Jesus to the cross afresh and anew. Have you ever pictured yourself grabbing the hammer and grabbing the nails and while Christ is looking at you with love and affection as you pound the nail through his hand one more time? Oh, and by the way, could you forgive me one more time? Yeah, no problem, no problem. No, no, how many of you know those were real nails? And that was real agony that Christ endured in a real body for real sinners like you and me. We can never take the cross of Christ for granted. To do so is dangerous. I'm going to say it again. To do so is dangerous. I also want to say this. You know, the the, the body of Christ in America, I'm not speaking to all of you, but there's a lot of rebelliousness. People don't want anybody telling them anything. They don't want even spiritual authority offering any kinds of counsel or advice that goes against the direction that you already wanted to go, even when it's biblical truth. And so you have all kinds of people crashing and burning and driving off cliffs and doing things they were warned against and then wanting to somehow come back to church and somehow, you know, pastor, 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 stop asking for your pastor when you didn't listen to your pastor. You didn't listen. Do you know that disobedience brings real pain? Real pain. Hurt, like ouch, pain. Like marriages destroyed. Like kids that go AWOL. Like pregnancies that happened unexpectedly and ended up in abortion. Like, like uh, porn addictions that destroy families. Like adultery in marriages that blows up your family. And these things hurt. But many times it wasn't that you did not receive a warning. It's that you didn't fear God. You didn't fear God. And when God spoke, it rolled off you. And you just went on your merry way. And now your life hurts. It really hurts. The good news is, The mercy of God overwhelms the justice of God. And if you're here today and you're hurting, you're this far away of a heart change from coming back to this amazing God who can save you and can heal you and can can forgive you because he's long-suffering and merciful. But listen to me, he is dangerous. Stop playing with God. Stop playing with his word. Stop pretending that ignorance is bliss. Ignorance will destroy you. Exodus 19, I think something deeper is at stake here than just simply having some old habits. Go back with me to Exodus 19, and I'm going to be reading verses 11 and 12. Forty days before the golden calf incident, The Israelites witnessed this incredible spectacle I'm about to tell you about. The Lord told Moses that he was going to descend upon the mountain in a dense cloud of glory. 
And he told Moses to tell the people, consecrate yourself. In other words, get ready to meet the living God. How many of you would have your knees shaking at that moment? You've been worshiping cheap, petty Israelite God, or Egyptian gods for years. God smashes every one of them, delivers you. And now God says, I'm going to meet you and display my glory. Get ready. Wow. I think I'd be listening to whatever the instructions were from that point on. Look at what it says in verse 11. Be sure they are ready on the third day, God says, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Listen to this. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain and warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch it. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. Imagine a God encounter with a caution sign. Am I driving my point home this morning? God says, I'm going to meet with you. Oh, by the way, put up warning signs. Saying, Pastor, you know, I don't like talking about this part of God. I'd rather talk about Emmanuel, God with us. Well, we have to talk about this or we get sick. If we don't talk about this, we don't get the other part the way we should. So here's the God I'm talking to you about today. Beware. 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 Hear the voice of the Holy Spirit today through the word of the Lord. Be careful. After three days of purification rituals, guess what? God showed up. Verses 16 through 19, read with me. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood. That word stood in the Hebrew, it's a military, language, uh, military word. It means they stood at attention at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln. And the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. How many of you know God wasn't the smoke? God wasn't the thunder? God wasn't the lightning? He appeared in those forms as a demonstration. And let me just say this, a tiny demonstration. A whisper of his true self. Could you imagine standing there seeing smoke billowing out of this mountain, the ground shaking, lightning striking in front of you, blowing up stuff. Uh, You're seeing thunder, boom, all of a sudden it shakes you to the core of your being. Has anybody in this room ever had an encounter with God where the fear of the Lord entered your heart and you realized, I I need to stop doing what I'm doing because I'm in trouble? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever have those warnings where, where, where God saved you out of something and you realized it was his mercy? Uh, maybe it was a life and death situation and you knew God intervened. Or I've seen uh, folks before battling with a sin uh, that was exposed and all of a sudden, as soon as that sin was exposed, fear of God enters their heart. They're trembling because they know they're in trouble. There's a price that's going to be paid. Something's been un- uncovered. Can you imagine standing in the midst of this demonstration of God's power? You're trembling on the inside. I want you to see what happens next, because this is sad. Look at verse, uh, going to Exodus chapter 20. God begins to give the Ten Commandments. He begins to warn the people, this is who I am. This is how you approach me. This is how you relate to each other. And you get to verse 18 after the Ten Commandments are given. And verse 18 says this, Exodus 20. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, You speak to us, we're going to listen. But don't let God speak to us directly, or we're going to die. Now what's amazing is, that was not what God's intended response was from the people because earlier God said, look, I'm going to deliver you from Egypt. You're going to be my special treasure and you're going to be a kingdom of priests. In other words, I want every single one of you to have a relationship with me. I want to be able to speak to every single one of you. I want, to, I want you to encounter me 
even as Moses encounters me. I want you to have that kind of relationship with me. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. And God demonstrates a tiny bit of his glory, and they're like, no, I don't think I want to do that priest thing. I think Moses is a better candidate for that. Uh, God, thank you for wanting to talk to me, but really, talk to Moses. He's a good guy. He'll tell me what you said. He'll, He'll translate that for me. Look what Moses says. He tries, to, he tries to reel them back in. Verse 20, don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you so that you, your fear of him will keep you from sinning. How many of you know keeping from sinning is a good thing? The only thing that keeps us from sinning is a healthy respect and love and honor of the greatness of God and, hear me, the superiority of what God offers. It is an absolute lie to be jealous over our sin when God offers us so much more. So God's trying. He's, Moses is saying, hey guys, chill out. God's showing you just a little bit of his glory because he wants to instill something in you that's going to protect you and bless you for the rest of your life. Have any of you businessmen in here ever, or, or women in here ever been confronted with lying just a little bit, just make, cutting the corner just a little bit, with, with, with giving in your integrity, with maybe not reporting everything. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, then, then the fear of the Lord comes into your heart, and you go, how could I do that? Because God knows. You know, I had somebody come to me this week, been in one of our Roar classes, and said, you know, I just got to tell the truth. I said I did this, but I only did this. And I need to tell you the truth in front of my kids because I want my kids to see that I'm a man of integrity. I about fell out of my chair. I'm like, this is awesome. I should give you extra credit on that paper for telling the truth about lying. But I love that he wanted his children to see him coming clean over something that, listen, nobody would have known. But, and the only, the only vote that counts is And when you fear God, you're like, how could I do this and sin against God? You know the problem with America today? We've lost our fear of God. Have you all noticed that, by the way, God is judging our nation? It started a while ago when God started exposing sexual sin in the pulpit. You all remember all the scandals years ago? God always begins to judge the church first. But guess what he's doing now? He's judging Hollywood. He's judging Washington. He's judging a lot of places because sexual sin is the idol, the transcendent idol in America. It's what fuels the abortion industry. It's what fuels so much of the perversion in the entertainment industry out of Hollywood. It's what fuels what's going on behind the scenes and why in the world we can't find a legislator to do what's right after they've been in Washington a few years. I'll tell you why. Because there's skeletons in just about everybody's closet. And when we talk about draining a swamp, it's a real swamp. God, only God, though, can drain the swamp. I want you to hear that. God, God has to expose the sin and all the wickedness that's hidden. And he's doing it right now. You're going to see it more and more. God's going to establish himself once again. Let me give you a quick reason here why we like idols so much. I'm going to go through these quickly. Four reasons. Why, why do we like idols so much? First reason, idols don't talk. And you know, I'll just tell you something. It's so much easier to worship an idol. I, I, I've seen this with men. When, when a man's marriage is struggling, I've even heard him say this before. You know, I just wish I could just, just me and my dog and my truck. Let me tell you why your dog and your truck are more appealing than your wife. Because your truck doesn't talk and your dog doesn't talk. At least I hope your dog doesn't talk back to you. <laughs> but your wife will actually communicate with you. Which means what you're running from is relationship and intimacy. And you'd rather sit in your truck with your dog than have an encounter with a woman who's supernatural. It's the same thing with God. We would much rather have a God with no thunder and lightning that just sits over there and behaves himself and never talks to us. We like to talk to him. In fact, that is most of what our prayer life looks like, right? Us talking to our idol God who never says anything back. No, that's an idolatrous prayer relationship. I mean, no, God wants to talk to us. We like idols that don't talk back. We also like idols that are visible. 
We don't like this invisible spirit being God, but guess what God said in Exodus 20? Don't make any graven images to try to look like me. You know why he said that? Because God's a spirit, and God cannot be captured in a graven image. As soon as you make a picture on the wall to hang over your fireplace of God, you just engage in idol worship because God can't be captured in a photo to put over your fireplace. God is a spirit, which means he's uncontainable, he's unhideable from, he's everywhere at once, his knowledge is transcendent, he knows everything about everything at the same time, all the time. I could get into blowing our minds with the nature and attributes of God, but it's awesome. God is a spirit, what we like to make little graven images that we can see and that we can take with us, that we can lead us to our third point here. We like things that are manageable. Oh, this one's so good. You know, if God could just be put in a statue form and we could put him in our suitcase and take him on vacation with us and break him out when we are ready for him. Or if God were just magic. You know, I see this in India all the time. All these, I was wondering, what are all these folks at the airport? They got a red dot and a piece of corn, like a grain, not a, not a corn, a, a grain of a wheat, uh, like, I, I'm sorry, rice on their forehead. And I'm like, here's a guy in a three-piece suit with a briefcase and a red dot and a grain on, stuck to his forehead. So I started asking some of my Indian friends. They said, well, that's what they do to get the blessing of the priest before they go on their business trip. Don't you wish you could just get a little red dot and a piece of grain stuck on your forehead and it would work magic and you'd get a business deal? God is not manageable. God won't fit in your suitcase. You don't take God with you and pull him out when it's convenient. He, he resists that. In fact, how many of you know God wants to possess your life? All of it. He does not want just you to bring him out for church on Sunday. He doesn't want you to bring him out when you're sick only. He doesn't want you to bring him out only to handle the crisis in your life. How many of you know God wants you, all of you, all the time on, on his terms? Now, we prefer a manageable deity, one that we can tell when we're ready on our time, when it's convenient, kind of like when Rachel stole the family idols and she put them in her, her uh, camel backpack there and she sat on them. We, we want a God that we can put in our backpack and sit on them when it's convenient and make them manageable, but God's not going to allow that to happen. And lastly, and I'll close with this, idols make no demands of us, do they? With an idol, we remain forever in control, and that really is the issue about idolatry. We can design it ourselves. We can choose the colors, the materials, the fabric, the, whatever we want to turn this idol into. We determine when we worship. We determine how we worship. We determine where we worship. You see, best of all, idols are safe. And here's the deal. Idols will never challenge you, and idols will never make demands of you. Isn't it interesting that I find it hilarious that the religion of choice for most of our Hollywood movie stars is Buddhism. You know, we always tell the joke when we go out for Easter to this nice little um, uh, Asian restaurant that, that happened to be a Buddhist, uh, evidently owned by a Buddhist. Uh, we go out for Mother's Day. We get some great Chinese food. And as a gift on the way out, we are given a, a white statue of Buddha. Now, what that meant when you go out with Brent Jacobus is that Buddha is going to end up in a mysterious place, unbeknownst to me, somewhere in my house or my yard. And... Uh, and I would find it on top of my roof, and I'd find it all over the place. But, but here's my point. In the natural, I look at this, and I go, why would I worship a little pot-bellied, bald-headed guy? <laughs> now, all right, don't anybody look around if there's a bald-headed guy. With... I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Why would I worship that? Somebody that my brother-in-law can put on my roof. Why am I going to worship that? Let me tell you why I'm going to worship that. Because that fat little pot-bellied fake God will never demand anything of me, but it feeds my idolatrous need to be spiritual. So I pull the little fat porcelain thing out, and I bow before it and do all kinds of stupid rituals and call myself a Buddhist. But that little fat porcelain God can't save you, can't speak to you, can't change you, and can't demand anything of you. That's why we put it on our fireplace right there. Pastor, you're being so politically incorrect. I could care less. Or I come from a nation immersed in Islam 
where you feel the, impress, the oppression is tangible. And I'm watching ladies dressed in black from head to toe, looking through eye slits. And here in America, we're trying to call that good and noble and virtuous, and we're all saying, hey, we need to just love everybody. No, we need to stop the idolatry in our nation before the dangerous God begins to judge our nation. It's idolatry. I had a wonderful call uh, two weeks ago from a parent uh, at this church who said, Pastor, this is what's going on in my kid's classroom at school. They're teaching world religions. Of course, how many of you know, there's no pro- I have no problem in teaching world religions, but Christianity always gets the short end of the stick. And we don't teach them all objectively. We teach them with an angle, right? There's, some, there's something we're trying to, to get in here. So in this particular thing, if you could imagine this, this happening in one of our public schools. Students had to come in, and they had to bow before the teacher who was uh, pretending like they were some deity until the teacher felt they were worthy or respectful enough to get up. And then they had to meditate on something that was not a Christian. I mean, no, Christian meditation and Eastern meditation are miles apart. And, uh, and they had to meditate. This is all in the, in the, in the name of role-playing and learning, okay? And he, he said, Pastor, am I wrong or do, why do I feel uncomfortable about having my daughter bow before her teacher and then meditate on a false god. Now, the reason, I'll, I'll give you the, the, uh, the, the explanation. The reason he feels uncomfortable is because he's born again and because the Holy Spirit within him is jealous for the worship of the one true God and because he's a man of God and he reads his Bible, because he reads his Bible, he actually believes that there's a dangerous God who said, don't have any other idols or gods before me, but worship me and me only. And he actually reads that because he can read and he actually, when he reads it, he believes it and the fear of God enters his heart so much so that he picks up the phone to call a teacher and when the teacher doesn't respond properly, he goes to the prince. That's what's called the fear of the Lord. We don't allow our children to bow their knee to false gods in the name of education or diversity or inclusiveness because God is not inclusive. He's exclusive. Because he's holy. And we used to believe this. But when parents don't speak up, here's what happened. This is the good news. He told me, that whole assignment's done, gone. No kids bowing, no, no kids meditating on Buddha or whoever else. Gone. You know why it's gone? Somebody feared the Lord. Somebody spoke up. This is the way this thing works. Church, you will not be part of a prophetic church if you do not have the fear of the Lord. I can tell you from testifying at bill after bill, all this uh, sexual insanity that's gripping our nation. We prophesied this at the State House. I stood and said, you will open the door to sexual insanity. I was mocked in the newspapers for saying that. Guess what's happening? Every kind of strange, perverted thing is being embraced and next taught uh, in our schools under the virtue of whatever the coolest thing is. But I'm telling you the truth. When I'm standing there, and this was Aaron's sin, by the way, Aaron, instead of saying, stop it, what are you doing? Let's hit the ground, let's repent, let's ask God to forgive us for our idolatry. No, what does the religious guy do? He takes the thing God hates, the idol, and he builds an altar in front of it, and he says, let's have a religious celebration. Let's do it under the Lord. Isn't that what he did? He took an idol that God has condemned and he baptized it in politically correct religious garbage. Now some of you, if you're visiting today, I'm really a nice guy. And please hold on to December because it's going to get warm and fuzzy around here. I just don't want you cozying up with a demon. I I don't want you... I don't want us snuggling up to a false idol and somehow baptizing our false idol. You know, I mean, you know, God is very clear about marriage in the Bible. And when I'm standing at a state house with a bunch of errands, well, how do you know they're errands, Pastor? Because they're religious people. How did you know they were religious? They dressed religiously. Let me just tell you something. If you have to dress religiously to manifest the anointing of God on your life, 
the prophetic call on your life, you need to have year-round Halloween or something, but you shouldn't be a pastor, all right? It's not the clothes we wear, the collars we wear, the gowns we wear, or the rainbow prayer shawl that we wear, embracing what God has already condemned as a warning to us, and then wondering why people like us that believe the Bible and stand for God's word are somehow no longer nice. If you only knew the niceness of the fear of God. The reason there's the fear of God is to keep you in the grace of God and in the love of God and in the blessing of God. But if you lose the fear of God, you jettison yourself out into a a wicked place where the wrath of God and the judgment of God are waiting for you. That's why this is important. Some of you are sitting here today. I'm sharing something from the heart of God for you. Here's the heart of God for you. Stop playing with the sin. Stop keeping God at a distance. Stop running your own life. Stop baptizing your relationship with God in what is socially acceptable, where you can have God on your terms, at your time, in your way. I'm telling you, it is idolatry, and God will judge it. He will simply take his hand off you and allow you to walk under your own counsel, and you will eat the fruit of your ways, and I'm telling you, you will not like what you taste. You will not like what you taste. Please hear my heart today. I am trying as best as I can to speak the heart of God. And I don't even like having to preach passages like this from the Bible. But I am not going to be part of a church where it's been said of your pastor, hey, why'd you just focus on all the nice, warm, fluffy stuff? No, we're going to do the whole counsel of God. We're going to eat it all. See, some of you, some of you right now, you got choices to make in your life. And if you make wrong choices, you pay for it for years. Can you imagine with Joshua standing there saying, hey, come on, guys, let's believe God. Let's not go back to idolatry. God's big enough to go take every idol down in this new nation we're going into. Let's go get our inheritance. Do you realize a righteous man paid the price of somebody else's, a whole bunch of somebody else's disobedience for 40 years? That seems unfair to me. But guess what? God didn't ask me. Because he's a big God. He doesn't need my opinion. Or yours. He wants us to honor him and obey him. There's some of you battling for a marriage perhaps. When the fear of God enters our hearts, we look at things differently. Sometimes we fight longer and we wait longer. Some of you are dealing with sin habits that are blowing up your marriage and family. And God's just saying, how long will you continue to play with fire and and think that you're not going to get burned? Why are you doing that? Where is the sense of the fear of God? Where is the sense of his holiness? Oh, my gosh, in this nation, God, visit us. Visit us, Lord, with your might and your power once again. God, start with us, the church. Start with me. Start with our family here. Lord, that we would not be loosey-goosey with your word or with what you've commanded us to do. God, we wouldn't play with the sin. Lord, I pray that a Holy Spirit-inspired fear of the Lord would literally grip our hearts. Lord, that whatever that is that that we played with, whenever we try going back to it, all of a sudden we go, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I watching? What am I thinking? What am I saying? Who am I hanging with? What kind of behaviors am I involved in right now? I just pray, God, let the fear of you, the healthy, righteous, holy fear of you grip our hearts. We want to please you, Lord. We want to be able to relate to you. We want the full blessing of our covenant with you. So Jesus, I just pray right now, capture people right now. Capture people right now, Lord. Capture hearts. There might be some of you who have just, you've been, you've been playing church, you just, you're looking for this religious thing, and today God just clearly told you, if that's what you're after, you're never going to find God. You, you will chase idols all your life. 
You will chase idols all your life and you will come up empty. You have to take God on his terms. Let the Lord have you now. Surrender to him now. Give your life to him now. And watch what he can do with it. Lord, I just ask you to capture hearts right now for your glory. And Lord, you're such a great dad. As soon as you capture us, you bring us right to your chest and you love us and you kiss us and you hold us and you encourage us and you're the most amazing dad possible. But Lord, we never get to that part of you until we really truly submit our lives to you. God, help us. Every one of us, help us. And Lord, I and our church family, we want to see this facility filled with the glory of God when your people come together. So Lord, I'm asking you that you help us to continue to create an atmosphere here where we love and honor and worship you, Lord, where literally your manifest presence is so thick in this place and you do great things. In Jesus' name. I got to tell you one story. I had a woman come up to me after church. She said she was going to such and such church. I won't mention the name of the church, but right there at the altar of this church next to a statue of Jesus was a statue of Santa Claus. And we wonder why we have no esteem for God Almighty. I heard a story of a, of a zoo in China, of all places, that was falling under difficult times. They couldn't afford uh, a lot of the exhibits to keep them up. And there was this complaint. People started hearing in the lion cage, they started hearing the sound of dogs barking. Like then they started looking more closely. What this zoo had done to save on cost was that they had decorated a certain breed of dog like a lion, except the dog barked, and lions don't bark. And the people wanted their money back because they came to the zoo to see a lion, and all they got was a dog. Listen to me. Let's not let people come to church to see a lion and all they get is a dog in costume. Let's make sure we deliver the real thing, the glory of God, the power of God, a people pursuing God, a people's hearts that are full of the glory of God, a people zealous for the name of God to be exalted in our nation. Come on, what kind of church do you guys want to be a part of? That's the kind of church I I don't want any barking lions, all right? I want the real deal. We're going to have our worship or our ministry team here. I just believe, please do not leave. If there's something God's been speaking to you about, there's, there's people here that want to pray with you and agree with you, and it'll be confidential. They want to pray with you, all right? They want to minister to you. Don't walk out with an idol in your heart. Don't walk out without knowing God Almighty through Jesus Christ. And if you're new here, I'm going to shift gears now and put my happy face on. And we're going to eat cookies and drink warm liquids like coffee and hot chocolate maybe. I don't know. But we want to meet you. If you've been new to Living Stones and and you haven't had a chance to connect with us, we want to meet with you. Right back there, Pastor Susie is at the open door. There she is. All right. Right through there, we want to connect with you. So hop in just for a moment. Say hi. We'd love to meet you and your family. All right? Marriage class at 4 o'clock. If you need prayer, come on down here. Otherwise, God bless you all. Let's be dangerous this week, all right? Amen.